We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaito Shaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. Hello, and welcome to Storied San Francisco, a podcast all about the people and places that make this city unique. I'm Jeff Hunt, and I'll be your host. First of all, happy Valentine's Day. This year, we saved a surprise for you that fits the day, at least in our minds. This episode is all about San Francisco institution, Good Vibrations, as well as the Antique Vibrator Museum, which is located inside Good Vibes' Polk Street location. To guide us on this podcast, we sat down in the Vibrator Museum with Good Vibes staff sexologist, Carol Queen. In part one, we meet Carol and learn a little bit about her life and her path to moving to San Francisco. Here's Carol. Well, I am Carol Queen, PhD, and the PhD is in sexology, not psychology, sexology, although okay. the, the two things are not completely divorced from one another, of course. Sure. And I am the staff sexologist at Good Vibrations. We're calling ourselves Good Vibes now to oh. get with the vibe of the future. A shortened. Do you still, yes, have, do you still we, have vowels in the name? Though? Yes, we okay, do. Good, we good, have good. vowels. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, you know, they can get rid of all the vowels over my, well, never mind, my objection. <laughs> uh, we were, however, when we got started, and I think we're going to talk about the past at some point, yes, good for sure, vibrations, for sure. like the Beach Boys song, mm-hmm. like the vibrator. And we are in the Antique Vibrator Museum at the Polk Street Good Vibrations in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which is where the, the museum is in mm-hmm. the back room. Mm-hmm. Nicely appointed, full of vibrators from the 20th century that no one would have seen in a sex toy catalog because they preceded sex toy catalogs. You could get them in drugstores. You could get them from the Monkey Wards catalog. You could get them in all kinds of places. And here we are displaying that vibrators are not just the fruit of the feminist sexual technological revolution of the 1970s, but go back further than that. Okay, and I can confirm for listeners that we are in a room full of old vibrators. <laughs> yep. Is this, we can definitely get to this later as we sort of build up to through time. Is this, are, like, are there other vibrator museums in the world? There are museums that have some vibrators in their collections. The, the coolest one actually was uh, in Minneapolis and when the the interesting old collector who founded it and put it together and ran it died. It went into boxes, mm. and the university owns it now. And maybe they'll, maybe they'll put it out sometime to amaze the public again. It wasn't yeah. just vibes; it was questionable medical devices, and full of fabulous curios, things. curios. And he had—I wonder if I can get my hands on this. He had. A thing that looked like an antique phone booth, and okay. I and it had, but it had a, it had a velvet rope in front of it, mm-hmm. and I was like, I bet that's the orgasmatron that Wilhelm Reich invented, Whoa. so that actually, 
somebody else called it an orgasmatron. But I bet that's the orgasm machine that he invented so that people could go in there and get charged up with orgasmic energy, orgone energy. And I said to the old collector, Bob, was that Wilhelm He's like, that was the one in his trial. It has oh, a, the it, prototype. Somebody penciled, somebody penciled information about the, the trial number. Wow. On, and I rushed, I jumped over the rope and rushed right in. But I feel like that's an important <laughs> distinction. This might not be the only museum with vibrators or sex toys, but it is the only known specifically vibrator. To museum. my knowledge, there's somebody. I mean, somebody online has a has an online only collection or had. Okay. But we're like, no, 3D here. We're gonna get some cases. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna put some pretty lights in and shine them on the vibes. I mean, this is a this feels well presented, and, and we'll put up some photos and, and videos of it. Yeah, as well, it's a so. free museum, and anybody can come in any afternoon of the week and cruise around. It's sort of a self guided tour, talking wall text. And uh, some signs, and yes. and they can look around and go, "Hey, my grandmother had one of these. I didn't know it was a vibrator." Right. To which I always have to tell them, "Yes, but they were used for so many health reasons that we are not saying anything conclusive about your grandmother. <laughs> we're just not. That would be that would be inappropriate. It'd be speculative. Yes, and that's not my job. My job is to try to be a scientist about these things. I like that. Facts are good. And I can also confirm for listeners that um, if you're not familiar with the area, in addition to the Vibrator Museum and this store of Good Vibrations, Bob's Donuts is directly across the street. Yes, so. which is worth, and uh, you, you don't know about Bob's Donuts, tourists, look it up. Yeah. Come on. And then just yeah. cross the street, come on over. And it's where it's, so this is like, um, like a, a, a trip over here is kind of like uh, going to an amusement park, going to um, a museum, obviously, you know, going to the candy store. And you can There's get here on the cable the car. Yeah. You can get the cable car, yeah, the 19, just a block. the 49. Just a block like from so the cable many. car. So come on down. Okay. Uh, what, I, what I would like to do, if it's okay with you, is let's hear a little bit about your life and how maybe you came to study and eventually get your doctorate in sexology. Um, and then we'll go into, you know, your, your story as, as far as like how, how you came to Good Vibrations. And then we'll dive into the history of Good Vibrations because that's, in addition to the museum, that's what this episode is about. Yeah. It's about the institution of Good Vibrations. So. Well, my story of, of my path to Good Vibrations, I grew up in the sticks in Oregon. I uh, was probably a little more curious about sex in my teens than my community wanted me to be. Okay. Well, except for certain members of it, I guess. And Which sticks? Where, like where? In- outside of Roseburg on the way up the Cascade Range toward the back road to Diamond Lake. Okay. Or to, to, to Crater Lake. You see, you pass Diamond Lake Crater on the Lake. way. Okay. You will find Glide and Idlewild Park. Okay. I went to high school in the former. I lived in a house with my family in the in the latter, and uh, right um, right up the road from the colliding rivers. Apparently, the only place in the world. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? They say that two rivers collide head on. Oh. So quite a lot of energy there. Totally. It also this. did not feel like the late twentieth century yeah, at all. Yeah. I had to kind of get that vibe from going to Eugene and going to the alt 
bookstore and getting some alt newspapers and trying to parse what was really happening. Okay. I think I did a relatively good job. And I stepped into uh, the world of the late 20th century when I went to college. Mm -hmm. I went to college a year early. So I was young, so I was too young to go to the queer bar. I was like, mm. I think I might be queer. Mm-hmm. What else? Mm-hmm. I went to find some lesbians at the rap group. They were like, you're bisexual. You don't really belong here. I'm like, yeah. oh. Oh, man. Oh, first, first in a chain of times when I would hear that kind of nonsense. Yeah. And so. Uh, Where was college? College, University of Oregon in Eugene. In Eugene, okay. Yes, okay. Fine, fine city. But you were like 17, maybe? I was 16 when I graduated. Oh, 16. I was 16. Wow. And, and by the time I, yeah, I was turning 17 when I finished my first year of college. Like, you could have, did you graduate before you turned 21? No, because I dropped out and, you know, we'll get to explored queerness in varying modalities. Okay. Including, I don't know, on the street. Okay. What that means, really, I was trying to make that sound scientific. I got a girlfriend. Okay. And I was <laughs> preoccupied. Right. So that, that finally happened. And I don't, I don't. You don't have to divulge your age, but what like what decade are we talking? Oh, I'm well. I'm happy to divulge my age. I'm 65, wow. and we're talking um, early mid. We're 80s. talking mid 70s. 70s, okay. 70s were quite a decade. Yeah. And for the people who think that this is quite a decade and the last one was quite a decade, <laughs> they need to learn a lot more about the 70s because it was a predecessor decade in so many ways mm-hmm. to the changes that mm-hmm. we've seen. I mean. A little less fascism, but not a lot less. Mm-hmm. There were, I mean, especially if you looked in various other places in the world, there's plenty mm-hmm. of it. Anyway, so, and a lot of political organizing, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and this gay youth group that I f- founded with my two young gay guy friends were, uh, were also too young to get into the bars. Mm. <clears throat> not that that's where we should have been meeting up, but that's where a lot of the Community, community, yeah, lived yeah. right at that time, yep, yeah. and and still does in many places. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it, your town's too small to have a community center, but not too small to have a club where people meet up, there mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And so, I would. So, where um, did you find your people? Well, I found them. I found them in the gay community eventually. Okay, we were beginning to get a little more awareness of diverse identities. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't top of mind necessarily at that moment, right. except maybe for me, because I was really hoping that there would be a moment when people wouldn't say nonsense about me being bi, mm. but whatever. Uh, what was really going on was Anita Bryant was touring mm. the country, uh, trying not, to- Not selling orange juice. <clears throat> no, <laughs> although maybe on the side, I don't know, the right wingers drank more orange juice. The Queers drank less. They switched from <laughs> screwdrivers to other things. I yeah. don't know. That was the that was the era of the Long Island iced tea and the screaming <laughs> orgasm drink. <laughs> and what uh, what Bryant was doing for those people who haven't studied up was she I mean, she was the Florida orange juice queen. She was a former Miss America, and she was married to a fella who. There were some whispers about in various contexts, including in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, the then sheriff of San Francisco used to say, there's a reason that those people never came here. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, rumors, they're the best. 
you know, historians track down the rumors. That's what I want. <laughs> and uh, she was trying to turn around the earliest of the ordinances that prohibited discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Okay. And usually then as now, they would pack that into an ordinance that banned discrimination on the basis of all kinds of things, sex, race, you know, country of origin, religion, all the things. And when did those prohibitions on those discriminations start popping up? Maybe the six, 60s or? I, real, they, it was certainly on the agenda of the homophile movement in the 60s, before right. Stonewall, before all of that. But right. after that, we got uh, an era of, in the 70s, political action sort of coming together. <laughs> the, the, the street action kind of Stonewall, post-Stonewall, Let's run out in the street and get some picket signs. And right. my very first protest was in front of the Eugene Register Guard, the newspaper, mm. which would not use the word gay. Mm. They insisted on using the word homosexual. Okay. And the gay people were like, "That's I'm, we're gay though." Right. <laughs> use our word. That's another term. So we also. put yeah we put yeah. Uh, we put paper bags over our heads and cut the eye holes out. Oh. Head head. You know, two, four, six, eight, gay is just as good as straight nice. on our uh, on our sides. Whatever whatever we did, we, we had a, a picket in nice. front of the newspaper. And so riffing from that, um, I and gay youth eventually sued the school district in Eugene mm. to allow gay youth to advertise in the school newspapers to reach out to the gay students. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it, we were met with a little bit less of the kind of vitriol that people are meeting this year when they go into the library. Right. Yeah, I, I, I kind of didn't see that coming and I kind of also wasn't very surprised when it started to happen. Right. But we, we, we got a certain way along the way of this. That's and the sort of direct action you were just talking about, yeah, right? I mean, there were various kinds. There were, let's, uh, let's see if we can make this change through the courts. Let's see if we can make this change through public sentiment. Mm -hmm. We were talking about marriage equality already. Mm -hmm. We were talking about gays in the military. We were talking about all kinds of things that people think got invented in, you know, <laughs> 2009. But, just now. But, <laughs> yeah. but really, really the pilot light just got turned up because the culture had changed enough right. because of all the coming out, because of all the, the discourse that happened for years and years. Mm -hmm. And Anita Bryant helped us. Mm -hmm. We didn't think so at the time. Thanks, but, uh, but we talked a lot about a lot of things in front of a lot of people we wouldn't have talked about uh, rights and identity and stuff right. before. And some of them agreed with us. Probably some of them came out, hey. <laughs> and then, of course, the next space where I also found my people because finding people in the context of fighting Anita Bryant was exciting and some would even overlook this bisexuality nonsense if I, Suddenly could, wasn't if so I could give a important. speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then of course HIV AIDS and right. I was part of the founding Willamette AIDS Council group. I found wonderful friends in that space and and there's nothing like having wonderful friends and working really hard to try to save each other and save the world. Yeah. You know, that's... Were you still in Eugene at this point? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a year or so after things really lit off in San Francisco. It was probably 1984. Okay. When we got rolling. And I left a couple of years later, but um, that was because I learned there was such a thing as sexology. Okay. And I was all, 
oh, this sociology I've been doing has seemed really relevant, but I bet this is even more relevant. Mm. And in Were you always kind of a ambitious learner? Is that fair to say? Or like, you know, cu- curious and, and wanting to study? And... Uh, oh, I think that's very fair to say. Okay. I mean, I, I, I am... I'm interested in everything. Books saved my life when mm. I was a weird little kid in a yeah. place that wasn't really quite late 20th century and <laughs> and gave me as much information as I got from the people around me, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was good to have some people around me to get information from, but mm-hmm. you can't always count on that, right. which is one reason that books are such a such a lightning rod right issue and especially now i mean i i know in my bones in my blood what is at risk mm-hmm. when people take books out of the hands mm-hmm. of kids when judy bloom is or getting adult. banned when judy, I mean, and thank goodness there's a documentary of her now yeah, yes so people can yes, can is. sort of see into that space mm-hmm. because there's this whole sort of belief that this is all about queer identities mm-hmm. and and youth and really, it's about trying to understand what it means to be in a decade where you're moving toward adulthood and you need to figure out who you are, where you are, who you're supposed to be around, how you're supposed to live your life. Your truth. Yeah, your truth. Absolutely. And so this is an attempt to control everybody's truth. Yeah. And it's not new. It's not, oh, no. Not new. No, there, there's yeah. been a band book week for decades and decades, and mm. these kinds of books have always landed on it, and mm-hmm. this is just ramped up. Yeah, and the media is much more willing to talk about all of these issues now. The main That's what we think of as the mainstream media, yeah. you know. If I, I tell you know my young feminist friends, you know, honestly, the difference between the '70s and now, the biggest difference I can see is that you can read about our issues in the Washington Post, right? Not have to go to that bookstore in Eugene to find the women's press, right? And find discussion of our issues there. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a great, yeah, yeah. It's a great thing. It, Access. It, it was really important that we we had a uh, crucible yeah. of of a kind of privacy. You know, we were trying to bust out of privacy in many ways, but we called our organizations. We the one that got together around Anita Bryant statewide. I think was called the Right to Privacy Pack. Okay. <laughs> it's like. Let us go, uh, you know, petition our city council for some rights, but don't bother us. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, what we see, of course, is that visibility brings backlash. Yeah. But there's backlash even if there isn't any visibility. Yeah. So we might as well be visible, get allies, tell our story, connect with one another. There's there's all the reasons to do all of that too when i think about it sometimes i'm bitter that what i'm just going to call the other side gets freedom like they they've taken that on and i'm like every everyone's talking about freedom the people that you're against are talking about freedom yeah anyway. yeah yeah freedom well freedom from for me and not for thee is one of the things mm. they're talking about but they're also talking about you know what they're also Remember when they took the phrase politically correct yeah. away from the left? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're a little light-fingered, those people. Yeah. When it comes to concepts and verbiage, There's a little a light-fingered. There's a <laughs> There sure is. That's a nice word. Yeah, That's you're a welcome. Nice word. You're there welcome. Should, do, do an anthology. I'll write an essay for that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, 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 so now, that so all that's the 80s. Me. Yeah. 
that all led um, that led me into AIDS work, and that all led me into sexology, thinking okay. that there was a place. You know, part of the the point by then was we have to be able to understand differing identities, and we have to be able to communicate about that stuff, and and you know, live in the political arena, which is so many people were act up, and yeah. then queer nation in the in the activist street political arena, and then the people who went to law school and did that. Okay, I had a dear friend who was like. I'm going to law school. I'll, you know, I'll see at the Supreme Court. We'll, right. we'll, we'll do that. Amazing. He died before he could get to the Supreme yeah. Court, but he made a difference there. And right. law school, he made a difference everywhere he went. Right. So, and he was one of the people that I was being an activist for at that time. Okay. He was one of the people I met at when I stepped into the Willamette AIDS Council mm. and started to to do that organizing. James. Yeah, James say, Campbell. Do you want to tell us his name? Say his name. James Campbell. And. Um, and he, uh, he helped me focus that there were lots of ways to do the work. Okay. Whatever the work was, there are lots of ways to do it. The right wing knows that too, don't they? Yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> but what I'm saying about me was that I was like, you know what? Uh, I think if I jump into this space, I have some experience now that I can help you know, flesh out what it means to be queer in all these various kinds of ways. I'm mm -hmm. sure there'll be some queers there too. Why wouldn't mm -hmm. there be? But mm -hmm. you know, anything with sex in the name is interesting <laughs> to some, right? I find. Always was true for me. Mm -hmm. And it was a space where I could hope to make a difference in a way that could be a like a professional space. Or a, yeah. And um, I wasn't thinking about an antique vibrator museum <laughs> when I made that leap, nor a, or well, a place you know. to sell new vibrators to mm -hmm. people who needed one in this in this decade in this hour of their life. But or just wanted one. Mm -hmm. Honestly, you don't have to need a thing to mm -hmm. benefit from the thing or enjoy it. And I was thinking that, but that is in fact. Where I wound up, because in at the at the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, rest in peace. It has closed, but oh. uh, but it was a it was a quirky school and a force of change while it lasted. It it was the right the right place for me at the time. And where was that? That was just down the block, practically. Oh, okay. It was here in San Francisco. Okay, good. Uh, it had been um, it had been started founded by two ministers and a bunch of other people that they were working with who came into the home file movement before Stonewall through a project at Glide Memorial Church, the Night Minister Project. There's a film coming out about this soon. It'll be really exciting. Oh. Ted McElvena was hired to be the Night Minister. Okay. And that meant the minister stays up all night and cruises around the streets of the Tenderloin <laughs> talking to prostitutes, drag queens, I love it. trans folk, etc., and it. and tries to give them uh, like sort of a smash up between a a social worker and a and a minister who gives you know spiritual succor and all of that stuff. And he was he was perfect for all that stuff. He was a character, a character. And uh, one day I was at school and. There's a, a room with a library books around it called the common room, the classroom, one classroom. I mean, not a big school, one right, classroom. Right. So I went to a one-room school uh, <laughs> years after my grandparents did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and he's sitting there and he said, 
Do you ever tell her about the time when I was asking the bishop, Archbishop of Canterbury about his masturbation fantasies? Oh, so that's what it was like going to that school. I mean, yeah. I, it allowed me to think that just in case I too had been a character in any of the spaces I had ever been, that I could probably make it work for me. You found it was a kindred okay. soul. <laughs> and it's, so then oh. I learned about Betty Dodson, the mother of masturbation. Okay. And they said, you should meet Betty Dodson. You two would get along like gangbusters. So I went and met her. She was here in San Francisco? She or? was in New York. I in went New York. to New York. Okay. I saw James, who had moved to New York. I saw my first girlfriend ever that I hadn't spoken to for 15 years. Oh, it was very big, big trip to yeah. New York. I got it, tried to get it all done at once. Yeah. Met Betty, and Betty said, I'm going to do a workshop in the Bay Area, you should come. So I came in there, well, and literally and figuratively, actually. <laughs> and met I was waiting for the puns. <laughs> Thank you for starting yeah, that. Well, I'm not the best punster, but I'm not. I'm not completely without my ability. That'll be our my, outtake. That'll be ability. our Patreon will just be the puns around this and episode. <laughs> that's where I met Joni Blank, the founder of Good Vibrations. Okay. At this in workshop. In the circle, at this workshop. And she called me up a few months later to say, hey, I have a one-day-a-week job at Good Vibrations. Could you do that? And I was like, that sounds like a foot in the door to me. Yeah. Rest is history. Can we go back just a little? I have oh, some sure. questions. Oh, yes. So um, the did, did you go straight into the doctorate program? Yeah. Was there any? So is that what essentially brought you to San Francisco? Yes. That and following a girlfriend who moved down here to go to culinary school. Yeah. Okay, that'll do it too. Yeah. Um, had you visited before you moved here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had so a, you had an impression of what San Francisco was like? My, my dear uh, friend from college, Will Roscoe, moved down to um, be a gay man about town mm -hmm. and, and in the pre-HIV years of the late 70s, mm -hmm. it was quite a city mm -hmm. and I came to visit him and mm -hmm. he took me on a important gay landmarks tour safari told me everything <laughs> we dropped acid and went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show as Amazing. one does and what yeah that, that impacted me too to be what did you really honest think of this city <laughs> at that point it was Will used to call it New Jerusalem in those days because we were both Blake fans yeah. in our college years. Still am, I suppose. Um, I thought it was a miraculous place. I already was well um, well oriented towards San Francisco conceptually because of the 60s, right. the summer of love, the sexual revolution, that all sounded good, mm -hmm. and, uh, and was influential from a distance to me where I was, right? Okay. So, yeah. So the fact that, that all of a sudden, not all of a sudden either, it seemed as though queers had really taken over this town. Mm. Boom! Mm -hmm. and, and that was... Harvey Milk. I came yeah. to Pride the summer before Harvey Milk was assassinated. Okay. And it was... Was that when he was the... He was the supervisor already. It? No, but the... Um, oh. What do they call it when you lead the... Parade. Oh, the Grand Marshal, probably. Grand Marshal. There's yes. the, the, the famous photos yes, of Yes, it probably him in the was. Yeah, 77. And I think been. we might have been um, having mimosas that morning, and we might have missed the beginning of the parade, which oh. I'll probably regret for the rest of my days. But oh. 
I will say, though, maybe that was a different year we were having mimosas. It's hard to remember that far back with mimosas. But <laughs> what I will say, what I will say about that was at the very end of the parade, as we were moving into Civic Center Plaza, I saw my very first special drag queens, San Francisco drag queens, the kind uh, that have at least three wigs on, <laughs> extremely high heels, mm -hmm. lots of glitter in their beards, mm -hmm. etc. And uh, one of them was holding a picket sign that said, U.S. out of San Francisco. Yes. I love it. And I just want to say that that seemed like the exact right climactic moment of that particular parade to me. Yeah. The next time I was here for Pride, I was with my then girlfriend, and we watched the parade, and we, then we went to the Castro, and I just want to, th this hasn't quite happened, I think, since, since HIV. There were so many men thronging the streets of that, you know, Castro to 18th, mm -hmm. Market to 18th on Castro, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, down the streets too, but that, that block mm -hmm. was so dense with mostly shirtless, nipple-ringed men, mm -hmm. at least it seemed like that to me at the time, yeah. that my girlfriend and I had to clutch each other's hands like we were trying to save each other from drowning in the rapids, <laughs> lest we be separated and have to find each other hours later yeah. at either end of the Castro, having you know been lost into a scrum mm -hmm. of these men. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then HIV. And there was something about having had that experience that it struck me in the heart in a way that I can't even describe in words, and words are my thing. That was Carol Queen, staff sexologist at Good Vibrations. Check back next week for part two with Carol. That drops next Tuesday. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fifth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show. And drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, weird, and healthy. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network learn more at podcasts.bff.fm bff.fm best frequencies forever